Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's best contenders for the industry's biggest awards. I'm Shana Naomi Crockmall, Digital Director at EW, and I am joined again by my co-host, EW's Awardist columnist, David Canfield. Hey, Shana. Hi, David. Welcome back. Thank you. This podcast is one part of our comprehensive awards coverage in the magazine, online at EW.com, on social. Last week, we talked about the shocks and snubs of the Golden Globes nominations. Our colleague Sarah joined us. You talked with double Golden Globe nominee Harriet star Cynthia Erivo. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to talk about SAC nominations, which yes. have recently been announced. And we're going to look at where the Oscars race stands currently. Plus, we are sitting down with the newly minted SAG Best Supporting Actor nominee for Just Mercy, Jamie Foxx and the Golden Globe-nominated star of The Two Popes, Jonathan Price. Where should we start, David? Let's start with the SAG Awards. Okay. Where where would you like to start with that? So the, the Screen Actors Guild mm -hmm. is a pretty large body of actors, Correct. right? I think it's about 100,000 people, which is quite large. Literally the complete polar opposite of talking about the Golden Globes. Correct. Um, lots of overlap. With the Academy. With the Academy. And I think from an actor's perspective, certainly actors I know is um, such a, it's just so welcomed and so respected because it's your, it's truly your peers. Right. And it's people who are marquee, like A-list actors, but also folks who are, they've got their SAG card and they're right. working and they're struggling to work every day and they all get the same amount of votes here. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a real sense that this is sort of, you know, truly uh, about the acting. All of it is about the actual performances. Definitely. Um, what were you surprised by or what do you think of the, the crop of nominees we've got this year? So the SAG committee, as you mentioned there, it's so big that the nominees tend to skew a lot more commercial and populist driven. Um, it's a lot harder for indies to break through, movies that maybe are coming out later in the year that didn't have big festival births. Uh, it's harder for them to get seen by enough people, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. Um, I think the big theme of the surprises is exactly that, which is that movies like Bombshell, which is the uh, Roger Ailes Fox News drama, which is just so star-studded, uh, did very well, even though it hasn't been a huge player on the award circuit otherwise, and I don't, other, other than the actors, of course, and I don't think that will change, even though it got a nomination for Best Ensemble. Uh, Jamie Foxx, who we're having on the show, who's so great in Just Mercy, the film has fallen off the awards radar, he was nominated here, which is kind of a shot of adrenaline into his campaign, um, and then Taron Egerton for Rocketman, uh, I think Joey Nolfi and I, who have been putting predictions on EW.com, really thought he had a good shot at getting in here because it's such a big group and the movie came out a while ago and was very popular. I love that you were so sure. You know, I, I talked to Taryn for this podcast and I am a big fan of that movie and his performance. I was still a little surprised. <laughs> like, I mean, I think it definitely yeah. benefits from it's been out for so long. So, you know, it came out in May commercially. Right. So everyone has certainly had the opportunity to see it either in the theater or just in home release, let alone screeners. Mm -hmm. um, but I was still, it's such a, there's only five actors. There's not a separate category for comedy or musical. Correct. So it's five actors across all films. And I was pleasantly surprised to see his name in there. I think that the other, you know, some things have to go right for that to happen and for him. Robert De Niro getting snubbed again 
yes. was really important Why, for him. How did that happen? What's, what's your take on the De Niro of it? I think in general, it does appear that he's not quite clicking for as a Best Actor candidate. The category is so deep. I mean, we can talk about other people who weren't nominated here, like Adam Sandler. Um, but he's also just in a movie where the performances that are getting the most attention are the supporting roles mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of a passive part and it does feel like it he doesn't might feel so much as a lead role he's getting a bit lost here the other element here which is a bit awkward is he's getting the lifetime achievement award true from sag now i find it i i don't know whether it's like well he's already getting something so we're not going to vote for him or and it's like a big award it almost it feels bigger but then it's like if you really are nominating him for the movie, then you're sort of recognizing what he's, what he's there for. Still do it, yeah. So it, it's a bit strange, mm -hmm. but that could help to explain why he wasn't recognized here. However, the Golden Globes don't have that excuse, and they also did not nominate him. So yeah. Okay. Um, it was great to see Parasite in Best Ensemble. That's huge. I feel like those actors, it's like the opposite, I feel like, of my usual complaint where I'm like, the director gets snubbed while the actors are all getting nominated for, you know, films, then obviously those things are connected. And I think in Parasite, we're, we're seeing like a really unfortunate lack of recognition for those actors, I think because people aren't familiar with them, because they mm -hmm. aren't doing very many English language interviews, they aren't, you know, in the yeah. sort of vernacular of people talking about, but obviously those every single one of those performances in Parasite is so strong and yeah. so compelling. And I was really pleased to see that ensemble recognition mm -hmm. here. Not totally. to say that they shouldn't also be getting recognized as individuals, because I think they also are making a compelling case for that in their performance, yeah. but nice to see that recognition. And a huge boost to its best picture chances. Like this is the kind of nomination where you look at it and you go, this film can win best picture. Because it's not the kind of place where you'd expect it to pop up. Roma last year, which is sort of equivalent in a lot of ways, did not get nominated here and it wasn't expected to. I don't think a lot of people were predicting Parasite. They thought maybe Bombshell, which did make the best ensemble list. Little Women, which did not. And we can get into that a little bit more later. But in general, it's, it's a place where big starry casts go to like compete against one another or just best picture candidates and in sure. this case a movie like this getting in there shows that it really is a top player although if the wonderful research that has been compiled in this for us here mm -hmm. today is correct it seems like the SAG Awards are a better predictor of who's going to win in the actor races correct. obviously which makes sense it's just overlap of the membership and just the more like apples to apples kind mm -hmm. of comparison and less so ensemble equals best picture. Totally. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, I think in general, a movie that gets nominated for best ensemble is not necessarily a movie that's going to get nominated for best picture. There's always at least one that does not make it through mm -hmm. and the winner is does not always correlate. I mean, of the last three years, two of the Oscar best picture winners were not nominated for best ensemble. Green Book. Green Book and The Shape of Water. Okay. And La La Land was also not. And while that did not win the Oscar for Best Picture, it was pretty close. It was so close. <laughs> it was pretty close. So, <laughs> Almost. You know, it had... Miss Congeniality. Exactly. <laughs> and generally, their nominees in the acting categories, about 75% of them go on. Mm -hmm. about... Last year, we saw with Rami Malek. That was yeah. a win there and then another win... They did not even nominate Regina King, though, who went on to win the Oscar. So That they, was the biggest snub of last year's SAG Awards, right. I feel like, and the, shockingly. and the winner was Emily Blunt for A Quiet Place, and she did not end up getting nominated. So they're, you know, they're, they're not sure. a perfect predictor, and they've kind of been a little bit less aligned with the Oscars of late. So 
I would say that there are about five nominees in here in the acting categories who will be replaced by others. And Little average. Women not nominated for Ensemble. Or any of its actors. Seems shocking to me. It's, it's a warning sign. I think there were murmurs that this film, screeners for it, did not go out to voters in time. It's really early oh. voting. And it has happened in the past with other, like Wolf of Wall Street, infamously, mm -hmm. a few years ago. Um, and it comes out very late. It comes out at Christmas, it comes commercially. Out, but Bombshell was in a similar position, and it did do well. So it's a warning sign, especially after the Golden Globes also mostly ignored the film. Uh, one has to think that Christmas box office, It's the reviews are really strong, that that can propel it. Mm -hmm. I kind of liken its situation right now to Selma, Ava DuVernay's film from a few mm. years ago, which similarly was a late-breaking critical hit that just kept not hitting where it was supposed to. It did ultimately like make the best picture list, but it still didn't perform nearly as well as people hoped. Is that, not to say like, who do we blame for that, but is that like on the campaigning side? Is that that the awards campaign and the sort of strategy and PR behind it is not hitting its mark? Or is it a question of just the weirdness of where you find that balance between something that might seem like it's gonna have a big commercial hit, but then doesn't for whatever reason strike a chord? Well, I mean, I think for starters, with those two films, we're talking about a film with a largely black cast and a film with a largely female cast front and center. And those films just don't tend to do as well in the Oscar race. And that's something we have to acknowledge. Um, yes. So that's the starters. That's I think point. Little Women has been campaigned quite well. And I don't think this is the end of its road at all. I have um, to say, I, over Thanksgiving, we saw so many of these films like so early and yeah. often in in the luxury of like private screening rooms at studios or like in a very sort of cloistered environment. Yeah. And as I've as I've seen a few films in theaters, particularly over the holidays, A, seeing trailers for films is always such a jarring experience. Like I found the bombshell trailer incredibly jarring, yeah. although I found it reflective of what I didn't love about the film. Agreed. And that it was very sort of comedic almost. Yes, um, agreed. The Little Woman trailer, made me cry. It's a beautiful trailer. I have trailer. already seen this film. I already know that the film itself made me cry. Yeah. Like a two minute trailer in the theater, I like genuinely came to tears. Yeah. It's a and, beautiful, beautiful And all trailer. I could think again was I was like, I am so excited for everyone to get to see this film. And I think it will do well as a commercial play, but it's also such a beautiful movie that one would think it would yeah. gain some steam here. Yeah. I think if you're like The Two Popes, which was also shut out, yeah. that's not a good sign it's yeah. been out uh, it's been screened it um it was premiered way back in the fall festival circuit um something like the farewell it's not a positive sign but again indies just struggled to gain traction with sag but those are instances where you have to look at their positioning at this point and say maybe they're not going to be the big awards contenders we thought aquafina missing best actress was mm -hmm. not uh, a good sign for her campaign mm -hmm. particularly Okay, so state of the Oscars, yes. as it stands right now, this race. We've got several guilds, other big precursors, Critics' Choice, obviously the Golden Globes. Let's, I want to hear from you, mm -hmm. where does the Oscars race stand right now? Will you just go through category, kind of category by category? Yeah. Not, we don't have to dwell on these, we've talked about all of these movies, but starting, let's just start at the top. Let's start with Best Picture. Okay. Where, who, and just truly talking about focus on the Oscars, who's in the top, who's in the hunt, 
who, yeah. who has like a distant but still possible Hail Mary chance to get in there. Right. What's the what's the best picture situation? I think right now the front runner quite clearly is The Irishman, Martin Scorsese's uh, Netflix film has just really dominated critics awards. It's getting really strong nominations, tallies with the Golden Globes and, and guilds. Uh, the other front runners, and I would say locks for nominations, are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, 1917, uh, Marriage Story, and at this point it's looking like Jojo Rabbit is definitely in. I think there were some concerns about how voters would respond to it, but it's done pretty well mm -hmm. across the board. I think the critics, the critics part of it, I think, helped push it back into that Definitely. contention. I would say the next tier movies that we could see do well are Joker, Little Women, Richard Jewell. Those are who uh, Joey Nolfi and I have rounding out our best picture predictions right now. Do you think it helped that controversy around Joker was so long ago? compared to where Richard Jewell is starting to hit in terms of... Possibly. Like, that it's not just, like, I mean, I don't think the problems with Joker are any different today than they were when that movie was right. released. But the, like, discourse about it has definitely, I feel like people just gave up, kind of, like, in that way where it was like, yep, this is terrible. Yep, this whole, like, yeah. these weeks around it, there were terrible shootings that also happened, and we have to keep asking a question. Mm -hmm. And then I think the sort of unfortunate reality is people were like, Yes, and and it just keeps getting nominated anyway, and it did a gazillion dollars at the box office, so there it is. This Whereas is, Richard Jewell now is like in it. It is, and I think this is a body that is the Academy is often immune to well, an we extent. We certainly saw that last year. We certainly saw that last year with Green Book, where things just kept mounting and mounting. And Bohemian I, Rhapsody, and, and a couple Bohemian of the other, Rhapsody, yeah, that were, truly were just like bulletproof. Huge, huge breakthroughs, given yeah. how much was sort of against them with with controversy. I think Joker, the controversy against Richard Jewell is so stark right now that I do agree that it's, it is hurting it. And I it's think it's bad timing. It's bad timing. It's like but if I, it were like three weeks from now, even, it would be like better timing than it being right now in this cusp right. of like leading up to. But I mean, there's still plenty of time there. And it may have also just been like a case of a movie that didn't really resonate mm -hmm. as people thought it would um, mm -hmm. out of those first screenings. It, it may just not be as much of a player mm -hmm. as we thought. Who else do you think is on, on the bubble there? I think The Farewell uh, and The Two Popes, even with those SAG disappointments, are, are in it. Mm -hmm. Bombshell should be taken a little bit more seriously now that it's getting um, that kind of SAG love, but I still don't see it advancing in the Best Picture race. It makes more sense in the, like, those perf many of those performances, I think we agree, were really strong. It feels like a, but a vote for the actors. But the film does not yeah. come together in that so way. So I think it's it's going to be a tough road for it still. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari's done very well in the Guild circuit, but it, it doesn't seem like people are taking it that seriously as a Best Picture player, but it's one to think about. And then a couple per potential passion plays. Uh, Knives Out has popped up a lot in a lot of unexpected places. I think there's a lot of love for this as a kind of fun mm -hmm. commercial popcorn movie. And and Uncut Gems on the, on the other side of that <laughs> equation, which is a very unpleasant movie at times, but very riveting and really exciting filmmaking. Uh, and Adam Sandler is also on the bubble for Best Actor. And then Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Slipping. Flipping. Yeah. Okay. The Stock Report with David Canfield. <laughs> um, let's talk about Best Director. Yeah. Well, I think it's the same story. Um, Scorsese, Sam Mendes, Quentin Tarantino. Bong Joon-ho and Noah Baumbach. That, to me, feels like a very strong, stable five. We've seen Noah Baumbach miss a few, like, um, Indie Spirits and Golden Globes, even though they liked the movies overall. 
So in the event that he does not make it through, we could see people like Todd Phillips for Joker, who was a gold, Golden Globe favorite. Greta Gerwig, if Little Women can rally. Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit, if that's a movie that really is widely embraced, although it doesn't quite feel like a director play to me. The difference with the way the Academy chooses Best Director and other bodies is that they have a dedicated director's branch. So you'll see more art house choices sometimes. I don't even know if we can count out someone like Lulu Wang or Pedro Almodovar for Pain and Glory who are not necessarily broad choices, but those who love those movies might really rally behind their directors. And we won't see the Directors Guild nominations until after the Globes. Right, and those are usually quite predictable. Although I don't know what the cutoff is for when they have to vote on them. That's when they're announced, but yeah, that's so we're kind film. of in the peak of that, I would imagine, right now. Yeah. Okay. What else? So any anyone else you think those are the kind of people I think we're the, talking the about? The general for picture, yeah. yeah. Actress? Well, this is Renee Zellweger's to lose. There has really been no one to emerge as a as a competitor to her. Um, Which is fascinating because I feel like that is truly where this conversation started. Yeah. Right? It has it has just not changed. Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, um, very safe for a nomination. One could see her making a play as, mm-hmm. a, as her main co- competition. And same with Charlize Theron for Bombshell, although it just doesn't feel like either quite have enough behind them. Mm-hmm. The last two slots are kind of up in the air. Sarah Ronan was not nominated for a SAG award, but... Outrage. I'm quite... <laughs> outrage. She's phenomenal in the movie. And sorry, we were like shaking my... That's one where I just... I, I can't imagine her not making it through. She's such a beloved actress and it's such an iconic role. Yeah. Um, Lupita Nyong'o and Cynthia Riva were both nominated for SAG awards and I do think... At least one of them will be nominated for an Oscar. Cynthia Revo's done quite well, and Harriet. God forbid we nominate both of them. I know, God forbid, right? And uh, Harriet has done really well at the box office, so it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a pretty popular movie, um, and she's really been a dedicated presence on the award circuit. So I think she has a stronger shot. I'd love to see Lupita nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wasn't for SAG, but again, early popular movie. Mm-hmm. She had an advantage there. It'll be a little bit tougher to crack the Academy Five. And Aquafina is also. Mm-hmm. Still in it, but it's it's a tougher path for her at this point. And on the on the male side, actors. Mm. There's a lot. There's some disagreement among pundits. I think a lot of people. This seems like the most crowded category. It's really right? crowded. I mean, partly because I think, as always, serious awards movies are almost always about male protagonists, and right. so they're just truly really meaty roles. There's mm-hmm. always going to be fewer, unfortunately, still like really substantial films that are centered around women, putting them in such a clear place for a Best Actress right. nomination. You can see that from these films. Like most of these films, truly, actually with the exception of Marriage Story, if you were talking about, actually are films about women. Yes. It's almost like you need to make a film about a woman for a woman to have enough screen time and enough like story to be a compelling contender mm-hmm. in that. Not so much a problem for movies about men. And all of the top five that we have currently predicted are in, except for Antonio Banderas, strong best actor, best picture contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Driver and Joaquin Phoenix seem to be the front runners right now, but there's a lot of fluidity in this category. Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is interesting. Banderas has been actually pretty dominant on the mm-hmm. Critics Award side, which is and I thought was fantastic. refreshing to see, and I think he really needed that boost. Yeah. Um, Christian Bale, Ford v. Ferrari, he is, he's looking like he could sneak through. He's really well-liked. Mm-hmm. He's very strong, I think, in this movie. 
it's a kind of a different kind of performance for him, much more scaled down. Could have definitely been a supporting actor. Correct. He chose to run and lead, and he after getting oh, him, interesting. yeah, they, I didn't know the that. film chose to run him and Damon both, both. in lead, which interesting. is I mean, likely. he certainly has a track. I mean, both of yeah. them have like a long history of very strong performances and, and wins among them. But yes, okay. after getting it at SAG, though, I think Christian Bale has a really good chance. Okay, and then in the hunt. Robert De Niro, the Irishman, we can't discount him yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same for Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Price is a Golden Globe nominee. We are featuring him uh, in this episode, and he's really terrific in The Two Popes. He's absolutely a contender. Uh, the Academy, from what mm-hmm. we've heard, really likes mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, and then Taron Egerton for Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. He's in it. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough path for him. I think that SAG was always where his campaign would sort of have its big moment yeah, uh, and we'll just see if that momentum can carry through. It's such a big category. There's so many variables. It's hard to know what this five is going to look like. And Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Um, I, I feel like Eddie, I mean, I really feel like he should be in this conversation. I like, was quite surprised he didn't get into SAG. Yeah. To be honest. Uh, yeah. It's been on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's really just a likable, fun, mm-hmm. broad movie, which is what SAG usually goes for. So I personally yeah. think that him not getting in there is, yeah. It's kind of a death knell for that campaign. Yeah. But we'll see. Okay. Supporting actress. Supporting actress. We J-Lo are currently, all the way. We are currently J-Lo all the way. Um, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not mad not, at that. You're <laughs> not mad at that. No, I'm not. I mean, I, I think all of the women in this category are, like, really strong. Um, but I absolutely think Jennifer Lopez did the best work she has maybe ever done on film. Yeah, um, I agree. And in su- such a complex way that totally like you almost like not to say that it's not required by the film but there's a version of that film that had a much shallower version of that performance and it still would have been an interesting story totally and instead it was like yes she does have this depth like yes she is there is that substance in there and i think yeah that is the kind of thing that i think people get excited about when they vote and when she got both her Golden Globe and SAG nominations, she posted these very heartfelt, yes. emotional videos, and I, she's playing. I, I the appreciated game. how much she. I do think this is a little bit of a campaign strategy, but I think was also genuine. How much she talked about how many women it took to make that film, I felt like totally. was pointed but gracious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not in a glib way. I, I do think she's saying all the right things oh, right abso- now. She, and I, look, she's an incredibly accomplished business person who right. absolutely understands this industry. Under, like she is she is powerful she is successful and that none of those things are an accident it's not an accident this film is good it's not an accident her performance is right. good and it's not an accident she knows what to do with that mm-hmm. momentum yeah I totally agree and i think she's a better business person than basically any of the actors who we have like she literally is a more successful entertainer than any mm-hmm. of the people we were talking about. And that about matters here, in this conversation. Except maybe like Martin Scorsese or right. Brad Pitt, right? Like that's like, like <laughs> and even knows. I was like, Brad Pitt's not on television every week. No, he's, he's, not he's doing like, the opposite in Yeah, fact. so, okay. That's, yeah, so I mean, I think she's going to win the Golden Globe. That's <laughs> That was very, Sorry, that was very I didn't, persuasive. I didn't, it, I didn't think I was going there, but that's how I feel. It was very persuasive. Okay. I think she's going to win the Golden Globe, which is uh, going to put her in a strong position. Laura Dern is who most, the conventional it's wisdom is that she's going to go all the way, and I think she absolutely could for Marriage Story. I don't know that at the end it's a performance that people are going to be as excited about, mm-hmm. or a story, but she's such a beloved Hollywood icon, and she's so great in that movie, so she's absolutely in it. 
think the category is going to be rounded out by Margot Robbie and Bombshell. Who and is outstanding, outstanding in that film. I mean, I she has like, two scenes in there that are just unbelievable. Broke good. my heart. Yeah, was by far I think the most uh, like amazing part of that. Surprised film. she hasn't been talked about as a winner because she has been in mm -hmm. the race the mm -hmm. last few years and. It's such a wrenching performance with such so, a big yeah. scene at the, near the end. Um, and so, such an arc. Like, he, she goes right. from that, like, sort of, is she dismissible and ditzy and, and not substantial as a character, even. Yeah. And to go from that to the point where I was literally, like, holding my stomach and, like, like felt mm -hmm. nauseous and heartbroken for her at the same time, I think is a just true skill. Totally. And I think her co-star, Nicole Kidman, who was nominated for SAG quite surprisingly, actually could figure in here as well. Actors love this movie. Mm -hmm. And Nicole Kidman has never been one to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to not uh, get included in this category. She was nominated for Lion not that long ago. She is uh, a very popular among this branch. And Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. She had a sort of awkward SAG yeah, situation. Yeah, explain that. Reports are that she was erroneous, erroneously submitted as a lead actress. She's not a lead like actress in that movie. an administrative mistake. Yeah. I mean, it was noticed Someone's. by an Oscar blogger and it kind of just was under the radar. And then Variety, I think, reported a few days before the SAG nominations that she was not intended to be submitted there. She obviously was not nominated because that just would not happen. And the movie didn't seem to click with SAG anyway. But I do think after her Golden Globe nomination, NBR win... She sort of feels like a stable player here. She also has a really good scene, uh, and she might be the main player for that movie overall. And who's on the, on the bubble for the best supporting actor? Yeah, actress? this one also could go in a few ways. Mm -hmm. I feel like only Margot, Laura Dern, and J-Lo are the locks. Uh, Scarlett Johansson has been popping up everywhere for Jojo Rabbit. Mm -hmm. um, but so far, those votes have felt more to me like votes for the movie. I so, also thought she was I thought she was. Yeah, she's great in it, but I, I just wonder if she's going to get checked off twice mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, Florence Pugh for Little Women. She did get into Critics' Choice. She's so phenomenal in that movie. She's had yes. such a phenomenal year. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of when Jessica Chastain had that breakout year. Uh, she got in ultimately for The Help. So vote for Florence Pugh is really a vote for her year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that could happen. And Shushin Zhao for The Farewell. I'd love to see her figure in here. She's been a very endearing presence in this, in this conversation. Um, but hasn't really gotten in everywhere she needed to so it's it's looking a little bit less likely that's supporting actor yeah um is this brad pitt is this when he finally wins his acting oscar i feel like this is like the renee conversation where it's like it started there and it kind of feels like it's gonna end there yeah the difference though is that renee is campaigning and brad pitt is not but this category is really bizarre in that respect because we're also talking about people like joe pesci who is not campaigning at all um, and then Al Pacino and Tom Hanks, who are sort of Oscar-winning. These, these would be comebacks to, in this race. They have neither have been nominated for quite some time. And then our last choice, this is, this is where Joey and I are going out on a bit of a limb. We think Song Kang-ho is going to be nominated for Parasite. I would love to see that. So he played the father. He plays the father of the family. He obviously is an actor with a tremendous track record. Yes, he's kind of a, a legend in, in South Korean cinema. He's so... He's, both that performance is funny, like side-splittingly funny, and then his eyes too. So I mean, devastating. He is, he is really brilliant in the movie. Just and that face, his face. He has like one of those faces that you look at and you're just like, ah. Oh, I'm so glad face, you're on screen exactly. because I don't know what else. Like if if you were just walking around and and this wasn't captured on yes. film, I feel like it would be a loss for everyone else. Totally. And I think 
you know, last year, the big surprise nominee was Marina de Tavira for Roma. Mm. She did not pop up, mm-hmm. pop up anywhere. And I feel like Parasite's even more beloved and Song mm-hmm. Kang Ho is even more known. Yeah. And this fifth slot has been very hinky. Like yeah. Anthony Hopkins pops up one place, Willem Dafoe another, Jamie Foxx at SAG. It doesn't seem like it's it's been determined. Yeah. And he's an interesting one that could. Oh, you've you've could, swayed me. I that's okay. I'm, I am pulling for him. Maybe an early bold take for today's episode. <laughs> yeah, and because I mean, and I didn't even look ahead to to think this, but as I was saying earlier, I think that ensemble that cast has been under recognized. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. Uh, do you want to quickly say something about the screenplay categories? I feel like there's so many contenders in adapted screenplay. Yeah. Um, I, like I was keeping track at one point of like all of the films when we were seeing like two or three of them a day mm-hmm. and they were a uh, fully half of them I feel like were based on magazine articles it was like skip big, the book deal just just adapt like option articles. and adapt the magazine yeah. piece and uh, and the ones that weren't were often books or in the mm-hmm. rare case like Jojo Rabbit a play like yeah. there's a lot of adapted contention here do you mm-hmm. think Little Women is the front runner? I think it depends on whether it can show up elsewhere mm-hmm. but Greta Gerwig feels like a very compelling choice here because yeah. it's such a, first of all, she's such a name, and which it is, is not always the case in a screenplay true. category. And it's an adaptation. It's a real like It feels transformative adaptation. in that way, yeah. that it's not simply a transcription of something. But and it, it really makes a difference. At this point, it does feel like The Irishman is going to do very well. And I think Steve Zalian's script could take that as well. Uh, in original, um, it sort of feels like Par- Parasite, Marriage Story, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of those mm-hmm. will win. Uh, and that sort of takes up the bulk of the category mm-hmm. right now. Okay, anything else you want to say about this race for Oscar contenders? I'll say go to EW.com and and know that David and Joey Nolfi, who's a writer for EW, have been doing a very exhaustive <laughs> and rigorous analysis of this ever kind of changing um, picture. But I think you guys are are well even on the few of these that I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if I agree with you. They're so well defended that I'm like, okay, never mind. I, we think through I, them. We you do. Really I mean, do. we're not going to be 100 percent right. No one ever is. I, I'm curious to see what your track record is going to be. I think it's good. So I encourage everyone to go check that out. Um, let us know whether you agree or disagree. But um, I think solid, solid research and and thoughtfulness. Not again necessarily who we want to win, but who we think is Correct. like playing the game and, and doing the work and... And showing and, up where they need to. Yeah. And I think, you know, and we're doing this now because this is really the last, the SAGs, the last sort of major change yeah. in the race that we'll see until the new year. So yeah. this is this is a good place to assess where we are. Next, we have an interview that EW's Derek Lawrence did with Jamie Foxx from Just Mercy. Um, we've talked, I mean, I thought Jamie Foxx is great in this film. He's phenomenal film. in this movie. He, I, he's not the only one. I feel like there are a lot of really yeah. solid, especially in the supporting and even sort of more smaller supporting roles. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the character acting in this film is outstanding. Yeah. Um, and Michael B. Jordan as a lawyer is very we'll enjoyable, <laughs> and um, and and I think Jamie Foxx is it's the right part of this film to recognize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, this is uh, Derek Lawrence talking to Jamie Foxx. Welcome to EW's Awardist Podcast. I'm Derek Lawrence, and I have the pleasure of sitting here with uh, the great Jamie Foxx, the star of. I would say inspiring, heartbreaking, haunting, 
Just Mercy? Do you think that did? I mean, what do you think, JV? Is that kind of? I mean, there's a lot of yeah, ways to sum when, this when, one up. When you when you watch it, it's yeah. I mean, it's it it lifts you just at the end, but it it really opens up some things like stuff that I've already known for like years, you know. But you never get a chance to really like let people see what goes on behind these. You know these dark curtains you know and so um, it's great to be able to see Michael B. Jordan in front of and behind the camera take on something like this and you know and uh, uh, Destin who you know is just an incredible director but yeah it's it's, it's all of that. Yeah to, uh, I went to screening the other day and you know I look around and there's people there's people tearing up there's you know the movie ends there's a standing ovation yeah. I know like for me and a lot of other people in the movie yeah. still is kind of resonating after, yeah. well after seeing it kind of what is it like kind of knowing that what you guys put up on screen with this important subject matter is kind of having that emotional impact you know what I mean we got the first taste of it when we were in Toronto yeah. Toronto Film Festival when you walk out and there's two standing ovations and you just go wow it really means a lot especially with the subject matter and with how people respond to it. Now, here's the thing. Brian Stevenson, an incredible lawyer, and he never fatigues when it comes to these issues. Now, some people may not be familiar with him, but, you know, to be on... to Imagine being your job every day is to go talk to someone who's in the most desolate situation in their lives, you know, someone on death row who's uh, been wrongly accused, and the fact that he doesn't fatigue on that. You know, sometimes we'll talk about issues. Women will talk about issues, like... But then you know it'll it, then it will settle or, or you know this is uh, blacks or whoever we would talk out on issues, and sometimes we just go like wow you know sometimes we get exhausted from saying like yo this is going on, but someone like Brian Stevenson who's just like listen if if I'm not here none of this gets done so now take that take the book and then take the beauty of the of the movie coming together and to get that response is amazing especially when. I say this all the time. I said that our director kept us from going off of a black cliff, meaning like, here's the black situation, here's the black movie, and certain things that we asked for, he was like, mm, I'll, I'm going to put it in a different way so everyone could enjoy it. I mean, it tested as a 97 in front of an all-black audience, which we hoped that would be the case, but that's really high because usually a, a good movie tested at 70. And then they tested in front of an audience, uh, all-white audience, and we were like, oh, my goodness, what happened? And it tested as a 98. Wow. And the reason being is because I think when you look at some of the characters that are non-black, like when you look at the, the white correctional officer who has contrition, like, wow, this is wrong. When you look at the face of the, um, the uh, uh, prosecuting attorney, who's like, wow, this is wrong. So it gives people who are not black an opportunity to root for it and see that that's me up there, you know, that not every... Uh, white person in the world is the reason for this, but the few that are guilty of it, there are other white people that can say, hey, you know, let's rally. Uh, so I think that was what really unique in the movie. Yeah, and to kind of set it up for maybe who, those who haven't had the chance to see it yet, you know, you mentioned uh, Destin Crenn direct, directs this uh, film that's based on a true story um, <laughs> on Brian Stevenson, played by Michael B. Jordan, like you mentioned. A uh, young lawyer goes down to Alabama um, and ends up fighting for the freedom of your character, Walter, also known as Johnny D, mm -hmm. who's kind of been, who's been wrongly imprisoned for the, and put on death row for a murder of a white woman that he didn't commit. Um, I talked to Michael a few months ago, and he, you know, for him, he actually admitted he was kind of embarrassed that he didn't know about Brian before mm -hmm. it came up, and then once he kind of found out about Brian and what he did and his story, he kind of 
felt a responsibility to kind of run yeah. to this and kind of get that story out yeah. there for more. Was that kind of a similar experience for you? Kind of. Well, you know, here's the thing. Like, like my Brian Stevenson was my father, my stepfather. You know, who taught black studies in, uh, uh, in in the hood in Dallas, Texas. So he was constantly, you know, telling us about our history and our heritage and the things that would go on with us. And you know, what was interesting is that my father actually went to jail for twenty five dollars worth of illegal substance. They tried to put him in jail for seven seven years. And what was interesting was that you know he's an educator. You know, so the very judge that he had, you know, that, that came to the school to mentor the kids was the one who presided over his case. So, you know, um, I, I'm glad that, 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 that Michael B. Jordan took this on, and I'm glad that Michael B. Jordan, I'm glad his career is the way it is. If you look at what he did at Fruitville Station, you know, he laid down the railroad tracks of that type of subject matter so that when he often, and he did the, even the big movie, um, uh, Black Panther, he still played a character that for, for black folks, you know, it still had integrity to it. It, had, it wasn't just that I'm being evil. There was, there was something that he uh, was fighting for. So now, Just Mercy, it's a natural progression. And, uh, um, and I think him doing this, really speaks volumes. I mean, when you think about young people who are really in the crosshairs the most. I mean, I talk about myself and people my age, you know, who we came through in a civil rights umbrella where, you know, our parents had laid down as much as they could for us to, you know, excel. And so we didn't have social media to show us some of these things that were, you know, that were awful. So with young folks, you know, they need someone like Michael B. Jordan to say, hey, you know, Let's pay attention to some of these things because, you know, um, we, could, we could change it. Yeah. You mentioned Michael. What was it like kind of work with him? I know you guys have long known each other, yeah. um, going way back. Obviously, he's been in the yeah. industry, you know, for a long Since time. Since he was a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And we, that, I was known when his face was this tiny, <laughs> you know, a little tiny face. And I mean, because that relationship, too, like, between Brian and Walter is, like, yeah. really at the heart of this film. Yeah. So what was it like kind of working with him and kind of being there every day and kind of building that relationship? Listen, man, it was great. I mean, I was, like I said, I was humbled to be able to work with him, alongside him. And, you know, he was about to work. He was like, let's go and uh, let's rehearse. Let's make sure that we know, even though we're sitting down uh, for the majority of our interaction, that we just know it like it's the back of our hand. And so that, that lets you know that's a testament to a person who's really about the art. And when a person is really like that, great things come out of those, uh, come out of things like that when a person is really about the art. And then if there was anything he needed, you know, he had an incredible cast around that was just, you know, uh, really brilliant. And I know that there was this one uh, scene where he's doing the big speech, you know, a couple of times, he, you know, he started, stopped, started, and he apologized. Uh, you know, he did that a few times, and I pulled him to the side and said, listen, you don't have to apologize for anything. You put this together. If it takes you 30 minutes to say one word, you do it. And then when he did it, you know, he got a standing ovation. And people that were in the uh, courtroom were just blown away, tears in their eyes and everything like that. So, you know, it's almost like that when our business and our job is, it, uh, it really feels good. You know, we'll do, hopefully, not gonna, we'll do several movies, and you Sometimes you may not get those types of feelings, but it was great to see him uh, experience that. Did you have any, I feel like he's kind of in a point in his career like that you were at too, right? You know what I mean? Like mm. you can probably, only so many people can identify mm. with like being in a position like Michael's in now. Mm. Um, kind of work with him, did you have, obviously you gave him some advice, you know, mm. in that scene, but did you kind of have some like overarching advice on kind of like, 
I mean, obviously he knows what he's doing, yeah. right? He's making these yeah. big yeah. movies and these yeah. big kind of yeah. changes in yeah. film at such a young age. Yeah. But kind of did you have some kind of advice or kind of some... Oh, yeah. All, listen, all the time. You know, listen, I, I got advice from Quincy Jones and, and Sidney Poitier and Oprah Winfrey. So, you know, you pass that on to, to the young guys because they got a lot more to deal with. You know, like, um, you know, when you see how the world is designed now that... Um, like we were just talking about, you know, everything sensationalized and whatever he does, you know, or whatever we do now is like, you know, really sort of, you know, blown up in the biggest way. So anytime I can say, hey, man, you know, the most important thing in your career is the words action and cut. In between that, give them all you got and be great. And then after that, you don't owe anybody anything. Yeah. With getting, you know, obviously Michael had... Brian around to be able to talk to and kind of be like, what were you thinking here? Mm. You know, it wasn't the same for you. Unfortunately, Walter had passed, you know, mm. before this movie started. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, the situation with your father that kind of gave you a background yeah. of kind of mm. this injustice a little bit, obviously mm. on a different degree, but kind of what was it for you kind of really getting into Walter and, you know, obviously you also grew up in the South, so maybe mm. I don't know if that added a little bit, kind of, of knowing his experience in of that course. sense. But kind of what was it like for you kind of getting into Walter and kind of finding that? Well, the first thing is that Walter and I look alike, aesthetically, the cheekbones. And we have, a, even if you look at my friend back there, uh, <laughs> Lamont, we all have this sort of same diamond, sort of elongated forehead, the diamond shape. So I call it sort of like a... Like it's tribal almost, you know. So by having that that aesthetic, that helps a lot. The fact that I look close to the way he looks, and then it was just a matter of um, you know tapping into that that southern thing, you know. And I love the South, but there is that racial component that we deal with, and you know, and it's it's something that's been there for for years. But I was able to draw upon that, you know. I was I was able to draw upon the a matter of factness of racism, meaning like when they said, "Hey, you killed this white girl in this other city. Let's go." Uh, what's interesting about that is not a lot of people would even raise an eyebrow because black people are supposed to kill people, and that's what they think, you know. And so, and that's 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 part of the perception that we are constantly, every single day, trying to uh, get out of is the fact that you know just because of the color of your skin, all of these things come along with it. So, having that at my disposal, you know, was I was able to put things together for Walter, and then talking to Brian, Brian, you know, of course, and I've been on death row before, just you know, to do research on other projects. And the worst thing you can give a person on death row is uh, hope, you know. But uh, he said Walter was full of hope, you know, and would share that with everybody. And whether he knew that someone was coming to save him or not, we don't know. But, you know, he had a, a good heart and a good spirit. And so we took that and we ran with it. Yeah, and there's a line, you know, that Walter says in the movie that really stuck with me, too. Kind of, he's talking to Brian, he says, kind of, he doesn't know what it's like to be guilty from the minute he's born. That was actually uh, a line that I gave him. Yeah, really. So that was from when I met with Destin, who's from Hawaii. Yeah. And I said, Destin, you got to understand, I was born. I don't, I, I, had, I had nothing to do with being born in this color. But it's interesting how much this color uh, brings out rage brings out anger, brings out happiness, brings out perception, brings out stereotypes, brings out a whole lot of things when you're black. And it's, and I was like, you know, being black is just, it's the greatest and sometimes the most difficult, sometimes the most adventurous uh, at all times. And I was saying, uh, I said, just being born 
somebody hates me for that. So that's an interesting thing, you know, which is weird because, like, I even look at the differences of, of people. Like, somebody was saying, like, the other day, so we all have prejudices. I said, I don't. I walk down the street, I don't see no motherfucking body. I'm just like, hey, man, we, 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 we chilling. We, we're living and breathing. But then you see some people who actually recognize that you're different from them and it's a problem, you know? So it's, 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 it's a, it was an interesting thing. I said, so that line of you're already guilty just because you're born, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a deep thing. Yeah. And, you know, when I was at the, the screen I went to, you, you guys did a Q&A after, and you were kind of recounting even a recent story where you yeah. were just driving in your car. Driving my white truck, yeah. feeling very white. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, even yeah. you get, like, you know, a, a cop, right? Yeah, that's like, all day. That's, yeah. That's every day, bro. I mean, we went to go get some Halloween costumes the other day. This is Halloween. And so we went in this little boutique Halloween store. We walk in there, you like five. What was it? Was it four of us? Four brothers? Four black dudes and you know, the girl, we walked in there and they said, what's going on? What? I said, like, God damn. Like, we just want some, uh, but you can't park that. And then one of the ladies was like, what? And then she goes, are you who I think you are? I hope so. Well, y'all call the cops on the motherfucker. But yeah, it's, and it gets bigger because of social media. Now you have, you have some networks that constantly drum in, the Mexicans are coming, the niggas is coming, the black folks, everybody, they're coming to take it. They're coming to take the white. And you be like, you know, and then build this thing up. Man, we on the street right now. I don't know if you check the Instagram, man, but it's crazy right now. Yeah. You know, so um, it's every day, you know. You just have to learn how to, you have to learn how to be two people. You know, you, when you're at the crib, you can be as black as you want, huh? but then when you go out, you got to be like, okay, let me. I gotta know how to. Hey, how are you? Know, I gotta assimilate. Yeah, Jamie. Hey, you gotta assimilate, cause man, they'd be scared of you. Did it kind of? You know, the movie's set in the late '80s, early '90s, but does it almost feel? It almost unfortunately feels like super relevant, right, to like the current day, like as you're watching it. Yeah, because look, man, humanity is under siege. You know, you know, usually, you know, usually as humans, you know, we try to. We try to leave examples for our kids and things like that. But right now, there's not a lot of good examples. You know what I'm saying? I don't think we even like good examples right now. We really are on some us against the world type thing, you know, whoever you are. And so now, things like this have sort of bumped up a little bit. If, you, if you've been looking at what we've gone through these past few years, man, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff that, that I shake my head when I look at my daughter who's 11 and go like, Damn, man, we thought we got rid of all this shit, like, years ago, but instead you got to go through it, you know, seeing um, people marching with torches, and, you know, people, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. You don't even know how to explain it. Yeah. You don't even know how to explain uh, that type of mentality, but when it's gone, when it is gone undisciplined and no one speaks up in a sincere way, there's no real men or real women to say, oh, that's fucked up, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so you just watch it go, and so... Um, you know, it's disheartening, but it is what it is. What do you hope, you know, I, I see the movie, and I'll admit, you know, afterwards, I had never maybe sat there and thought too deeply about, like, the death penalty, for example. Yeah. But, you know, I walk out of the movie, I see the haunting kind of statistics at the end, yeah. um, and then it makes, really makes you think. Like, for you, I talked to Michael, you know, asked him what he hoped 
the message would be for people or how what they would be talking about when they walked out of the theater. And he kind of hoped that it would be kind of a call to action for people and be like, you know, you don't have to be a Harvard lawyer to, like, make a change or to make this little change. Kind of for you, what do you hope people are thinking when they walk out of this movie and kind of what they take from it and kind of move yeah. forward with? You know, I just hope, you know, it opens their eyes, man. It's like, you know, it, it's interesting. It's like, um, if just a few people could get affected and sort of, you know, say a few things. Like, like I used to tell my, uh, <laughs> had, you know, I was white friends in the business and, you know, really, really, like, major white guys. Like, you know, I say, hey, listen, man, a black man saying that there's um, black injustice and we can scream that to the top of our lungs, a billion of us, but sometimes it, the needle doesn't move as far. But a very influential white man just whispered that the fact that these things are going on and it's wrong does a lot, you know, and it's, it's like uh, uh, not saying that we don't have power. It's just that sometimes you just hope people can recognize it. Like, like I tell people all the time, I say, man, when, when you get called a nigga, right, and I've been called a nigga several times, right, they don't understand, like, yo, I got family. I got, I got daughters, I got mothers, I got brothers and sisters, and, you know. And, you know, it's like, it's really, sometimes it's really hard to, to you know, to, to let those types of things go. And you're just trying to figure those things out. So you, you, you sort of ask, like, you know, just let up just a little bit. Like, you know, like even now in today's world, like, you just want to, Unfortunately, that th those images are out there now. Young kid who's watching social media, and he watches, you know, something happen with a cop and a black. You know, what is he thinking? He's mad. He's 18, 19. He's like, why do I gotta live like it? Then at the same time, you have a cop or whatever like that who's looking at the, looking at him being mad. So by the time they interact, you know, it's it's tough. So you know, you just hope that this movie can. Put it on people's hearts, keep it on their minds, you know, we're not, you know, we're, we're not beyond reality where everybody's going, hey, lead the charge, that's not <laughs> it, but just, just, just as long as it's out there, as long as it's out there and, and everybody can rally around it in the human, in the human aspect of yeah. it, to where it's not a black, white, red, it's just a, it's a human thing, because if you look at history, man, Humans can be pretty nasty to each other, and it's, it's weird. Like, you know, you watch, you know, another human be nasty to another person, and you're just like, how is this happening? Why, why, so, why are you so pissed? I used to always ask like that, you know, growing up where I grew up. I said, man, what's wrong? Why y'all so mad? Y'all got everything. Like, ain't, no, ain't nothing on my side of town. Like, you know, look at my side of town. You know, motherfuckers ain't have nothing. Those motherfuckers mad. My right? And I used to say, I said, it's interesting because, like, black folks, or brown folks, we'd be like, the things we worry about, I worry about food, I worry about clothing, I worry about my family, the things that get on my nerves, it's affected that I don't have this and we're just trying to get that. And then some people, you know what gets on their nerves? Us. Like their whole life, they black mother, white people, like, what? How is that your thing, you know? So, that being said, this is a movie what I feel like everybody feels like they can help. It doesn't say all white people are bad, and that's it. It doesn't say those things. It it, it, it shows the the humanity of it. And also, even at the beginning, one of the guys who isn't, he's, he's white, who's also went uh, wrongly accused. So 
I think this is the right kind of medicine that we need where everybody can, you know, take it and ingest it and not feel uh, like they're under siege. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an important point because there can be a lot of films, you know, to convey their point, they might make, you know, some characters on the other side kind of a caricature, right? You know what I mean? And, like, understandably, but then you're like, oh, then that makes it tough for everyone to kind of look at it's it the hard, same way. It's hard because if you're looking at, if you are looking at something and you're a part of that, you're like, oh, I'm not really like that. And you're not. But those people do exist. Yeah. So, like I said, it was, they, they, they allowed everyone to partake. And I yeah. think that's genius in Destin's, uh, in his work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another reason why this movie is really an important film is, you know, Michael helped spearhead him with his production company, you know, these inclusion writers. Yeah, for sure. um, and this yeah. is kind of the first one, where, you know, that it was put into place on. And it's, you know, for people who don't know, that's kind of to help with uh, gender and racial representation mm-hmm. behind the camera and mm-hmm. in front of the camera. Oh, for sure. So for you, kind of, how nice was it to be kind of a part of that, and what was that oh, experience man, it's like? Great because you know you get a chance to watch people who may not have ever gotten that opportunity to do that job and watch them do it well. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, oh, we're just going to open up to anybody. No, no, it was it was really the top people at their their business. You know what's interesting about my career too? It's going to blow your mind. When I started on this show called The Living Color, all I knew was a. Uh, uh, the, 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 the boss was black. Like, it tripped me out. Like When I get onto the set, I looked around and saw all these beautiful black people doing their thing. I'm like, man, who's running this? <laughs> Kenan and I ran. It's like, oh. And he ran it, and it was an amazing show, and he ran it very tight, and he, he, made, he made it was a lot of fun. And so my experiences in Hollywood has always been inclusion. You know, it's like, you know, he had black, he had women, he had white. But it was really dope. So even when I went to the Jamie Foxx, it was the same thing. You know, we had two black uh, writers, uh, producers, and uh, most of our staff was black. So it was like to watch Michael now pick that up and apply it to, you know, to this. When he's big in his career, and I'll tell you, a lot of times when people get through that door, they ain't trying to look <laughs> Man, they ain't trying to look for you. Like, man, I, got, I made mine. I don't care about what nobody else does. Because it's, it's actually, you know, you don't actually have to do it. But uh, for him to do that, man, and to be, to like I said, to walk out on some of these stages and watch people give this movie a standing ovation, it means a lot. Yeah. And maybe some of my favorite scenes in the film are actually between you, Rob Morgan, and O'Shea Jackson, mm-hmm. um, which it's, you know, amazing because you guys aren't actually ever, like, looking each other in the yeah, eye, you know, because yeah. it's, you, the three characters are all in on death row, and they're yeah. in different cells, and they're, you know, communicating just through the walls and you know it can be funny at in one moment they're making each other laugh and then it could be they're having these serious you know real conversation at the same Mm -hmm. time what was it like kind of putting those scenes together because i can imagine it's kind of a tricky thing to do yeah you know but it was like listen i I, I know o'shea just just met rob but it's a fit it's a vibe man like you know we all knew exactly what we were trying to do and i watched rob i watched o'shea trying to work out their thing you know whatever whatever that is and we talking, we playing music, you know what I'm saying? We, we we have that fellowship before we go into those cells. And Destin was amazing by putting three cameras in there so we could just sort of do our thing. And it was a beautiful blend of all of it, man. But you just know, man, it's like, you know, it's like playing jazz. Like, you know, you sit in. Okay, so you just, you know, you roll with it. It's, it's uh, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's part of our beautiful... Um, Artistry. I remember watching Robin Williams' work when I was on this thing called Toy 
toy to, to, toys. I didn't have any. I didn't have any. You know, I didn't have any words. Or anything, but just watching him just cook. You know, watching people cook. You know, or watching uh, Leo and Samuel Jackson cook when they were doing that thing. You know, so we sort of take that DNA and you know we use it for our own. This, you know. I feel like a lot of times with actors, like parts come to them at like kind of the perfect time mm -hmm. um, in their career. You know, I was talking to Will Smith, and he even for his new movie Gemini Man, yeah, yeah where he's playing, well, you know, <laughs> he's playing the 51 year old version of himself and the 23 year old yeah, version. Yeah, only he's, Will could do that. Yeah, That's well, even he said at 23 he couldn't have played that 23 year old version. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he yeah. needed that experience in his career yeah. and all that. Mm -hmm. Did you do you feel like it's kind of a similar thing with Walter? Like you kind of oh, needed yeah, to get man. to a I certain mean, place. You, you, listen, you you gotta live in order to understand. Like me being pulled over by the cops at 51 is way different than 21. 21, I'm like, yo, what the fuck is wrong with you, bro? And then 51, you're like, okay, I got to de-escalate. I have to understand what the, who this person is and what they've been taught to see. A lot of times, you know, you 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 put blame on the authority, but, you know, they've been taught a certain way, you know, and they got to survive as well, so... You know, with that being said, you know, taking on Walter McMillan at this age, you understand, you know, he lived for a while, you know, and, and even even living and, and, and cutting down those trees in the public business, there's always that that hair on the back of your neck that, that, that stands up when it comes to something could go wrong, you know. So that's the 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 education that I could bring to the characters that I know that at any point, yeah, it could be bad. Yeah. And just mercy's coming out. In a, in a few months, and it's going to be, and obviously you're, I mean, you're so great in the movie, and, you know, there's a lot of, obviously, awards conversation already, and this is coming basically 15 years after you won for Ray. Mm -hmm. um, well, at first, is that kind of surreal to realize that it's been 15 years I mean, since? I, I mean, you know, time flies when you're having fun. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, Ray sparked a lot of things. Like, you know, from Ray comes a song called Gold Digger. Which, you know, watching Kanye cook the song up and be in the studio because of Ray, man. Like, every club we go to now, and that was however many years ago, you play that song, it is what it is. And so, sometimes you didn't... I, 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 Kerry Washington posted and said, this is 15 years ago. I said, 15 years ago, what? So, you know, um, but in our business, man, you know, things are evergreen. Like, if you look at... Green Mile right now today, or when I was, I would, I would let my daughter watch Primal Fear the other day. It's like, those things just, you know, they just remain evergreen. You don't really remember how long ago it was. You just know that, you know, that happened and it was great. And then when someone puts a number on it, it even makes it more nostalgic. But yeah, you know. But as far as, you know, it, you, uh, awards, I, the, all, all I would say is, is that you never do anything for awards. But you, but but in, the, in, in, in a movie like this, you hope that there's as many eyes on it as it could be, because these are the ones that that for for me like really count. The message is amazing, and and so those types of things you want um, every opportunity for people to be able to um, uh, to be able to experience. Yeah, what's your you know having you know having one one kind of what's your relationship with? Is it kind of just like gravy now like if, if you know that your name I mean, is in listen, that conversation I, I would say like this if you were able to be in that conversation or you were able to be nominated just a nomination um it's so rare and it's so beautiful and it's so 
There's nothing like it. There's nothing like at that time. And my friends behind me, we all experienced it. It was just like, it was so much fun. And getting into the, being able to be blessed into that club or into, in, in, into that small door. Um, you never, you never forget about it. And people don't forget about it. Like the other day, I think it was the governor awards. Yeah. And when you go in there, it's like, like I said, everything is evergreen. And you look out and you see Tom Hanks and you see Eddie Murphy, you see Quentin and you see Leo, and you see Todd Phillips and all these people, you know, you understand it's just a good feeling. It's a good feeling to have, um, whatever happens, happens, but just to, 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 um, run into people that you saw 15 years ago and probably before that time, you probably never would have met those people. Yeah. I never get to meet Warren Beatty. <laughs> Warren Beatty, shampoo? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, it was just like, and I took every opportunity to talk to, to become friends with if I could, uh, just to learn more about, you know, what cinema was about. I feel like now, you know, I was looking at, we, you got the Oscar you got the Grammy. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we need to, we're halfway to the EGOT. Like, I feel like Man. we need to get you, I know, we need to get you on TV Let's or on popular, Broadway. Baby. Like, one of them. We need to. Some luck. <laughs> be a lady. <laughs> but, you know, like, this man, listen, like like I said, it's it's always, I, I think also what comes out after it is this, is, you know, when you get that opportunity, it's the good material that comes along with it and everything like that, so. You know, you just keep rolling. You keep rolling with it. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining the Awardist thank podcast. You, I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Jamie Fox, for taking the time. Busy man, appreciated yes. being able to find some time for him to sit down with Derek Lawrence from EW's team. And we also spoke to Jonathan Price. Uh, we've had we've had a lot of folks who came in and spent some time having like really in depth conversations, which yeah. has been great to have. Uh, Leah Greenblatt, who is often a critic for us but mm-hmm. also is an amazing interviewer and and writer beyond her i think very sharp critical take of so yes. many of these films uh spoke <laughs> some to more positive than others <laughs> always people are terrified of leah which i <laughs> i am terrified of leah no, i love it um i feel like i've i have been at parties where publicists were like chasing her down to try to ask whether like you know why she gave something a grade that they didn't love. The dreadedly a Greenblatt B. Well, she doesn't really give, <laughs> she very rarely gives A's yeah. or A minuses for oh, truly almost very anything. Very rarely. Um, but I think she's so sharp-eyed and and yeah. deadly accurate when it comes to a lot of these totally. um, distillations of things, even when they're just like Twitter-sized. Yeah. Uh, so she spoke to Jonathan Price about the two popes. Uh, David, what did you, I, I haven't seen this movie yet, so tell me what, your, I feel like you gave me a good uh, reason to go see it, and I just haven't done it yet. It's Thoughts about a, his performance? It's a basically a buddy comedy between two popes. Uh, Price plays <laughs> if Pope only Francis. there could have been a road trip in there too. Fascinating about this is that Price was cast because the director Fernando Moray had seen splits on like Google Images of the Pope and Jonathan Price as like, wow, they look a lot alike. And wow. Price is really beautifully understated and and warm in this movie and his conversation with Leah is really great because they really go into this kind of remarkable career he's had. He was, you know, even last year he was in The Wife with Glenn Close and 
that movie ultimately got more attention from Glenn Close, but I thought he was terrific in it. So uh, yeah, it's a great conversation. Here is Leah talking to Jonathan Price. Hello, and welcome to the Awardist Podcast. I'm Leah Greenblatt here with Jonathan Price, who is the star, one of two stars in The Two Popes, which is having a limited theatrical release, but is going to be available to everyone on Netflix. And this is a movie that started, it debuted at Telluride, premiered in, uh, I think, actually August 31st Mm -hmm. of this year. And pretty quickly, for sort of a modest two-hander, got a lot of buzz at the festivals. And you are now very much in the running for a Best Act- Actor Oscar. Mm-hmm. So your career, about half a century now, you have played, <laughs> gosh, Bond villains. You've been Hamlet. You've been a lot of powerful men. But how do you play a pope? A living pope, no less. Um, well, it's surprisingly easy. Um, big, uh, few things help me. Um, I'm supposed to look a bit like him, which uh, helps. Um, and uh, the script is one of the best scripts I've ever had the pleasure of working on or re- and reading. And uh, and um, I've I you know I've never felt any great uh, empathy towards uh, uh, any pope in my history. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a Catholic. I'm not religious. Um, I grew up a, a Welsh Presbyterian. Um, so the church was always part of my life, but uh, certainly not, not a pope. Um, but when he was created pope and he started making his pronouncements about what he uh, thought he could do uh, not only for the church but for society at large. Um, I started listening to him, like a lot of people, and uh, and realized that the things he was saying were fitted with me uh, politically. Um, I'm a socialist, and the things that he was saying were was it was uh, socialism dressed up as Christianity. <laughs> so it was about those very simple things that we all learned as children, which is caring for your fellow man. And, uh, you know, th- trying to do your your best for the world. I feel like we should explain, I should have explained the premise a little bit more. It's basically a series of conversations, the film yeah. between Pope Benedict, played by Sir Anthony Hopkins, and yourself as Pope Francis. Yeah. And stretches, what, about seven years or maybe a decade mm-hmm. from from when Francis was sort of first in the running yeah. to, to be Pope, and then when Benedict decides essentially that he wants to do what I think no other Pope or maybe one other Pope had done before. No, nobody in 700 years. Which is step down. Yeah. And this is, at a, this is at a moment in history when the Catholic Church is plagued by scandal and all of these ugly things have come to light and Benedict sort of being complicit in them, and then here comes, and he was a very traditional pope in almost every way. Benedict. Conservative, yes, you yeah. know, socially and, and politically, and very much into maintaining the sort of status quo of mm. the church. And then comes your renegade, yeah. which comes, he comes from a continent that's never even had anything close to, come close to the Vatican yeah. before. So I think 
I love how how much humanity there is in your performance, but how much did you want to, like, did you do a lot of studying of his mannerisms and his public appearances, or did you just sort of want to do no, I did. the spirit of him? Well, uh, you, um, I think you, uh, whether you look like him or you don't, what you want to pre present is the spirit of him, the essence of the man. Um, and... As I say, the, the, this, everything that he says and thinks is in the script. And then to embody that, then you do need to... I mean, I looked, uh, you'll find a lot of contemporary actors say that research is based on YouTube. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of footage of him uh, once he became Pope, obviously. And uh, there is some footage of him before he became Pope. And that th those were the... Those are the more interesting videos for me to see, to see the progression of the man. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, he's talked of as a divisive figure in Argentina. He's, he's maybe less divisive now because of the things he's been saying since he's become Pope. But uh, he was, it was always, he was, uh, that people were wary of him because they thought of his, that he had collaborated with the, the Junta at a time when priests were working amongst the poor and helping the poor and the uh, dispossessed, and they were seen by the government uh, as uh, communists and therefore had to be taken out. And he says himself he didn't do enough when he was Cardinal Arch Archbishop of Buenos Aires. He didn't do enough to uh, protect his priests and uh, because they, they wanted to carry on doing the work they were doing. Um, and I, there's video of him when he's being um, interrogated, as it were. It's a, it's a bit like watching the uh, impeachment uh, hearings <laughs> these days. The, a man being interviewed by a group of his peers, and he's uh, he looks he, he's very angry, and it's an image you don't see of him now, um, and, unless he's being having his photograph taken with Donald Trump where you see him looking very <laughs> grumpy and miserable. Um, and uh, he's he's a man, he, lo he looks very stern, he lo he's very unhappy to be there and he's drumming his fingers on the table next to him, which kind of tells you that he, he is an impatience with the whole thing. And um, looking at this image of him and coupled with the... Uh, I, I spent some time with a Jesuit priest in um, in Buenos Aires who had worked under Bergoglio. And I asked him if he liked him, and he said, no, I didn't like him because, uh, again, because of that the time under the colonels, and also because he was a very stern, um, authoritarian figure. And he even said that when he was created pope, and we saw him on the balcony and we saw him going amongst the people in St. Peter's. We didn't recognize him because he was smiling. And uh, they knew him mm. as the man who never smiled. And I think that's an extraordinary thing to discover about him, you know, from the outside. We almost think of him as, I think, sort of the cuddly pope. Yeah, well, he's... It's, or at least very benevolent. Well, it, it's certainly benevolent, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> if you've ever seen footage of him when people c uh, continually keep trying to kiss his ring, and he keeps pulling his hand away because, uh, you know, you wouldn't think of him as the cuddly guy. <laughs> He's like, stop kissing me. But, uh, um, you know, that you see, you've got that, the, the darker side of him, the more serious side of him. 
And then the person who seems to, once he's become Pope, he seems to be liberated from all that. And he begins to be able to say the things he wants to say about society and about the church. And in the flashbacks that go back to Argentina's Dirty War, not played by you, obviously, because mm. it's, what, 30, 40 years previous. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that might surprise people about this film is who directed it, that it's the man who did City of God yeah, yeah. and Constant Gardener. Yeah. And he is a Brazilian man who is Catholic, but he said he didn't really have any interest no. in the Pope or in the kind of current state of Catholicism. So it sounds like he got a bunch of non-believers on board with him. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the case because it, uh, but interestingly, interestingly enough, when we started the film, I think it was Fernando us, both Tony Hopkins and me, were we religious? And I said, no, but I uh, fully expect to be by the end of the filming. And um, I did feel something... Um, you know, it was. I didn't have any great epiphany, but I, you, you know, when you're embodying that kind of man for a, a, over a course of a few months, um, it it would be odd if if it had no effect on you. And um, it was just simple things like when uh, filming in Buenos Aires, and that was my last day there. I'd been there for about four or five weeks. And we shot the scene where I was handing out uh, and sorting clothes in a, a, a shelter, you know, to give clothes and food away. And that was my last scene, and I was getting into the car to go back to the hotel and then, then straight to the airport. And that priest that I mentioned came to say goodbye to me, and we uh, said our farewells, and then he said, uh, would you mind if I blessed you? And I actually felt this sort of something overwhelmed me, and it was... It moved me greatly, and uh, I, I can almost bring myself to tears now thinking about it. Was, and then I found myself uh, asking him to bless my family. And, um, you know, it was uh, just being, in the, being with someone who has that sense of spirituality and uh, that there's a world or something, a, far, a greater being, whether it's a, a Christian God or whatever, um, is uh, it's it's quite something to discover. I'd always thought when I was younger, when I was 60, and I, uh, when all my problems would be over, all my <laughs> troubles and everything, I was worried about, I would find religion and I would have a serene old age and welcome death and everything. Um, and that, that didn't happen, and it still hasn't happened. But this, this has put me on the road to... Uh, I'm less afraid of uh, the future. In for the me, not for the planet, <laughs> should we say. <laughs> no. yeah. um, in the movie, there, there's, there's, they, ha they don't have a lot of natural chemistry, not you two as actors, but these two popes. I mean, they're, yeah. they're pretty diametrically opposed on the direction they think the church should go in. Yeah. Of course, a lot of their sort of, you know, that, that kind of... Uh, stuff that's more technical but also you know you're the pizza and soccer guy i guess you would say football yeah um you know and i you don't get the sense that benedict has a lot of downtime where no, <laughs> he no. enjoys himself no. and in some ways it's your job in the film to kind of teach him that a little bit when you go out to send someone out to get the pizza yeah for yeah. the two of you yeah just to relax a bit well we you don't unlike uh uh, Francis, you, you 
you're not aware of uh, Benedict's life before he became pope, and he, he um, you know, you know that Francis was out there saying mass in the favelas, uh, working with poor people, um, and uh, and he had an interest in football. His uh, San Lorenzo, the team he supported, is the team that uh, the, the 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 poor support. It's their team. Um, and flamenco uh, too, right? He, uh, he uh, likes tang- to dance. Tango. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, so you you don't you do know that side of him, the more uh, human, humane side of him. Uh, Benedict, you know very little about, and it's uh, I think that's a it's tough that we don't find out more about him, but uh, um, they are on different paths, uh, and when you see them uh, meet each other for the first time, or sort of kind of bump into each other during the election when Benedict became Pope, you see there's a, there's a certain amount of antagonism between them. Uh, I think Benedict is very suspicious. Suspicious. I can't speak. I speak for my living. We I should say speak. you've been on Broadway every day for weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so I, I, you should, are I should do better with my, my mouth. Um, so they were suspicious. He was suspicious of Francis, I think. And then you see uh, Francis go to the Vatican uh, to uh, meet Benedict and to offer his resignation. He doesn't want to be a cardinal archbishop any longer. He wants to go back to being a, a regular parish priest. And um, you see him going with kind of, uh, he's a little wary He's of, uh, of the Pope, but he also has great respect for the position of the Pope. And uh, that's kind of, fell into my acting with Tony Hopkins in that I'd, we'd met like 25, 30 years ago in a recording of Under Milk Wood. Um, and I'd always admired him as an actor and I'd always been slightly in awe of him and a great respect for him. So those early scenes where I go to meet him, that's what it felt like for Method. Francis, <laughs> felt like for me, no acting required. Um, I do a lot of listening and a lot of, uh, some talking, but you see in the course of the, the, these scenes um, that uh, the friendship grow and the mutual respect grow. And uh, that's what happened to me and Tony, and we became, uh, I think, great friends. Uh, we um, had rivalry on the set because on the call sheet, I was number one and he was number two. And uh, that doesn't happen to him often. <laughs> We'd meet for breakfast. He'd say, morning number one. And I'd say, morning number two. And then he'd, uh, he'd get his own back when he'd send me an email and he'd sign off as sir number two. So, um, yeah, Well, you're both OBEs, right? I'm a CBE. He's a, oh, he's a sir. Me. He's a knight of the realm. Yeah. Um, one up on me. I know you've, you've worn thousands of costumes, I'm sure, but... How is it to slip into the vestments? Uh, very easy. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're the um, the cardinals, especially. It's uh, what I like. I like a uniform, and I find if I'm traveling or whatever, or even in life, I I tend to wear the same clothes. I'll get two or three of the same sweater, two or three. So to be it's able kind to of a just, dream job. What? It's a dream job. I know. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then to have. Uh, 
the Cardinal's uniform to put on, which is uh, very comfortable. They're always very well tailored. Uh, somebody else can do all the buttons for you. <laughs> I don't have to do them. And he rejects the fancy shoes famously, right, Francis? That's one of my favorite lines in the film. I don't think it's a spoiler alert, but uh, when he's being robed to become Pope and they're offering him everything that you see uh, that was offered to Benedict, the, the ermine and the kind of the, the Gucci Pope, um, Francis is rejecting any of the finery and any of the jewelry and he wants his own simple crucifix uh, and finally he wants his own shoes and when he's presented with the red slippers and he says no the carnival is over and it's a very telling line because it, it is it's we're, we're moving on and we're, we're going to create a new church and a new Vatican um, and of course it hasn't been that easy for him. Are you prepared for what faithful Catholics will think and feel about this movie? Well, I know what... Um, Have you gotten much feedback already? Well, I, I've, I know um, people who... Um, well, I know I've met members of the, the church in, in Rome who were very supportive of the film. Um, and a lot of my friends are either... They, they mostly lapsed Catholics, but they... Um, I was worried that they, they would think we're, we're letting them off because all this, uh, everything that's been talked about, the, uh, the abuse in the Catholic Church is, uh, is dealt with to some you know, extent yeah. in the film. But it, it's not a total examination of, that, of this period. Um, so I was worried we, they would think we were letting the church off lightly. But uh, it, is, it is talked about in the film. And um, I, th I just think that the, the uh, believers and non-believers, what they see from the film and they come out of talking about the film is the humanity of, of the film as portrayed by these two men. And this, what, if the film has any value at all, it's about the, the fact that we people with opposing views can debate and talk and with no abuse and no threats and no tweets going out while they're talking to somebody else about uh, about their, their differences. Um, so it's a, it's a film that will open up people's minds uh, politically as well as um, if they, religiously, if they have a faith or not. It's, it's a very political film to me uh, as a... I, I, <laughs> I was going to say as a non-believer, but I'm not going to be that firm about it anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, you know, it's it was Fernando's um, drive. Uh, the reason to make this film was because he, uh, he's involved in uh, talking about the environment for on behalf of Brazil and climate change. I think that's he's his a next movie. And he, you know, he goes to the UN as our uh, producer Tracy Seawood does. She fronts uh, uh, a charitable organization called um, It's for Refugees. And it's uh, help refugees choose love. Um, so those images you see at the end of the film, they're not some filmmaker tagging on, oh, let's uh, just make this relevant now. It's, it, this is relevant to the, the filmmakers for quite some time. And I think that's why the film has the kind of uh, energy and appeal it has, because it's made by committed people. So this movie will be on Netflix and 
Netflix is sort of notoriously cagey about their numbers, but they have said with certain films, I think Bird Box, you know, the, the Sandra Bullock thriller, they said 85 million people had watched it or whatever. But for a movie like this, which is a smaller independent film about, you know, two older men and, and yeah. whatever. I don't it, see it, it as a small film at all. And well, I a think smaller budgeted film, maybe. No. No? Expensive uh, no. film. Okay. Um, I, because uh, I think that's the what's wonderful about the film is that people could go in thinking, listening to you and saying, well, I'm going to see Sorry. a small, small independent film. I'm going to slap yeah. your wrist now. Uh, <laughs> going in, seeing a small independent film. It's a colossal film. Um, and what's wonderful uh, about uh, the fact that it's going to be in cinemas before it's shown on Netflix is uh, it's hugely cinematographic. It's, uh, yes, it's two men talking, but it's uh, visually extraordinary. The, the you guys built a Sistine Chapel. I we heard. built our own Sistine yeah. Chapel. Yeah, they, we couldn't get into the <laughs> real one. Um, and it's, um, you know, those images, and especially the... Um, the flashbacks to Buenos Aires uh, when he was a younger man, the recreations of the of the troubles with the you know the the disappeared and the, the mothers in the streets. I think it's a real film, and that's um, when I felt like I saw City of God again. Yeah, that's when you could see that that yeah. was the same director. Well, you can see that and the same cameraman. Yeah, Cesar Celloni, uh, who shot City of God, shot this film, and. I think because of their um, just well, it just it just it's provided with more energy than you would ever think uh, a film of talking heads. Is. It's more than that, and uh, so I, you know, come November twenty seven, I urge people to see it <laughs> in the cinema. Um, I I do as well because I yeah. did see it on a screen, a big screen, and I'm glad. But um, I guess what I was trying to say and failed was that <laughs> was that. Uh, you do have, there have been smaller movies that have gone to Netflix and ended up with enormous audiences, right? Yeah. So this is almost a guarantee that tens of millions of people are going to go see this, are going to see this movie mm. because it's available to them at home. They don't need a babysitter. They don't need parking. Yeah. They don't need to put pants yeah. on yeah. to watch this movie. And are you a fan of the sort of democratizing of the film experience where you know, you, you don't have to make it a destination thing, or do you still just hope that people go and I, have a theatrical experience? The experience uh, the experience in a cinema is very different to watching it at home, but it, uh, watching it at home is nonetheless valid. And because uh, the, the, the danger in the, the home situation is you can lose focus. Um, you, you can stop it. The phone rings. You rewind. You whatever snacks. Um, and it's. Uh, I think what you lose is that concentrated focus on a film. I know mean, because I'm guilty of it at home. <laughs> um, and so it's it's like going to the theatre. That uh, the the um, that experience of seeing it with uh, a couple of hundred other people or thousand other people that we did in Toronto. Um, that experience really focuses the mind. And uh, and I think that's that's important. Um, you know, Roma. I was I just going to say Roma. Yeah. I, I wouldn't see that any other way. No, yeah, and that's going back into cinemas, I believe yeah. now. Um, and 
yeah, don't be fooled by thinking this is talking heads. It's it's more than that. Yeah. It did make me want to go to Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Where a private yeah. garden does not await me. No. <laughs> um, well, you also had one of my favorite performances of last year, I guess technically the year before, in The Wife. Yeah. Opposite Glenn Close. Yeah. But if you do, and also such a great book, um, but if you do end up with a lot of awards attention this year, I was thinking that you might be up against some of your old co-stars. Yeah. Robert De Niro, who yeah. co-starred with you in Brazil for yeah. The Irishman, and maybe Antonio Banderas. Yeah. You were in Evita together for Pain and Glory. And Adam Driver. And I were yes. in... Uh, the man who called Don Quixote. So every, pretty yeah. much everyone. Yeah. We don't know yet, but those yeah. three are all front they runners. They stopped emailing me for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. They're not calling you number one? No. no. How do you feel at this point in your career? Obviously, you have two Tonys. You have many other theater awards. Does, it, does, it, does that validation matter particularly to you? If it happens, it'd be fantastic. If it doesn't happen... Um, uh, you know, say la vie. But uh, I, th I think when you say at this point in my career, it's, um, uh, you know, I'm not cynical about it, but, um, you, you know, it's, I've been down this road at least once before and uh, it can all shift on a, you know, um, it would be nice, but uh, I, you know, I'm fairly confident on, about my work and myself, that uh, if the validation comes, it would be nice. If it doesn't, I know people still like what I do. <laughs> you know, I'll still work, um, although 2020 is looking a little empty at the moment. But uh, just put that out there. If anybody has a, a job going, just let me know. I'm, I'm curious, actually, what your kids thought of this film. You have three kids, yeah? Well, they're not kids anymore. They're uh, twenty something. No, they're think. thirty, thirty-three, and thirty-six. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, no, it's all right. Um, we still—it's bizarre. Kate and I still refer to them as the kids, and we think we've got to find another name for them. Um, what they thought of it? Uh, well, the funny thing was that when uh, um, Francis was created Pope, the internet was full of images of the two of us. And some of them were pictures of me as High Sparrow and the Pope. And to the extent that my middle uh, uh, child, my son Gabriel, called and said, uh, Dad, are you the Pope? <laughs> um, something I was keeping from them. Um, they have... Uh, it was just very bad at celibacy. early screenings. But um, no, they, they think... It's, they're all interested in film. Gabriel studied film here in New York. My eldest son studied fine arts here and uh, our daughter is an actress so they they do recognize it as a as an extraordinary film yeah and they're all kind of fans of uh, well, I know they're all fans of City of God as well and I guess you were just sort of fulfilling your internet determined destiny to be Francis then yeah yeah do you get is uh, when people approach you I mean because you've been in a play in New York now for a few months yeah or probably here for longer maybe rehearsing when people recognize you on the street, is it usually a Game of Thrones thing, or what? What do people you never approach know you for? What it's going to be? You think Always it's different? going to be a Game of Thrones, and then they'll throw <laughs> curve say it even. Well, the film that I'm either it's either Game of Thrones or the apps, which 
the thing that I like uh, is that I'm still recognized for Brazil, Terry Gilliam's film. And it, uh, well, I meet people who tell me it was a life changer for them as, as a young person or as a teenager or a young 20-something. Um, and uh, it still keeps finding a new audience. And that's very gratifying. Um, but there's Game of Thrones. There's people, um, it's usually women here in New York who say, oh, I really uh, enjoyed you in The Wife. And then they go, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry, <laughs> I didn't enjoy you. I hated you. Um, but, uh, it, it, no, it's nice to be... Rec if they didn't recognize me, I'd be more worried, you know, if they... Uh, yeah, whatever. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We, uh, just to clarify, it's in theaters. What are the theatrical dates? And then November twenty-seven and uh, Netflix streamed on Netflix December the twentieth. December twentieth. Okay, yeah. so you can spend Thanksgiving in the theater. Yeah. Or Christmas, Christmas at, at home. home. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Jonathan Price. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, on thank Awardist. you. That was very nice. Thanks. Welcome back. Thank you to Jonathan Bryce for taking the time to sit down and talk with EW and Leah for taking the time to, to do that. David, thanks for being here today. We have some more great interviews and some more discussion to come. Um, you can always find complete awardist coverage on EW.com slash awardist and then the magazine. We spent some time today talking about a number of entertainers who are on EW's um, January issue, which is our Entertainers of the Year, mm -hmm. Aquafina, uh, Regina King, yeah. um, Taika, Renee. So some outstanding um, performances who we also had a chance to have long conversations with, separate from these Gorgeous interviews that you've heard. Gorgeous photos, really stunning covers. Yeah. Um, be sure to pick up a real hard print copy of that also. Um, really great stuff in there. We will be back on Tuesday, December 31st, New Year's, New Year's, New Year's Eve. Eve, with uh, more news um, and an interview with Greta Gerwig, among other conversations. Please subscribe to The Awardist. Uh, you can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Rate and comment. It makes a huge difference for other folks to help find this. Um, and then if, if commenting there isn't sufficient, where can people find you on Twitter, David? They can find me on David Canfield 97 I'm at Shannon Naomi. Thank you as always for joining us uh, for the awardist from EW.